0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Nare Vasudevaya Udhare Atman Atmanam Natmanam Avasadayet Atmaivahyatma Pandhur Atmai a man must elevate himself by his own mind not degrade himself the mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well <clears throat> purport by his divine grace the Prabhupada the word atma denotes body mind and soul depending upon different circumstances. In the yoga system, the mind and the conditioned soul are especially important. Since the mind is the central point of yoga practice, atma refers here to the mind. <clears throat> the purpose of the yoga system is to control the mind and to draw it away from In material existence one is subjected to the influence of the mind and the senses. In fact, the pure soul is entangled in the material world because of the mind's ego, which desires to lord it over material nature. Therefore, the mind should be trained so that it will not be attracted by the glitter of material nature, and in this way the conditioned soul may be saved. One should not degrade oneself by attraction to sense objects, the more one is attracted by sense objects, the more one becomes entangled in material existence. The best way to disentangle oneself is to always engage the mind in Krishna consciousness. The word he is used here for emphasizing this point, that is, that one must do this. It is also said Mana Eva Manusyanam Karanam Bandha Mokshayo bandhaya visayasango muktayi nirvisayam manaha For man, mind is the cause of bondage, and mind is also the cause of liberation. Mind absorbed in sense objects is the cause of bondage, and mind detached from the sense objects is the cause of liberation. Therefore, the mind which is always engaged in Krishna consciousness is the cause of supreme liberation. Translation A man must elevate himself by his own mind and not degrade himself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. Omagyan timidandasya dhanan jana chalakaya chakshur un militam jena tasmoy sriguruvainamaha the practice of yoga, in simple terms, means the process of controlling one's mind. One may practice various forms of yoga, pranayam, asana, pratyahara. One may practice forms of meditation, but for one who is not controlling his mind and senses, there is no question of yoga. Today, especially in the Western world, there are many teachers coming from India to teach the process of what they call yoga, where they teach their students the various asanas, Shirsha san, Saravangasan, Padmasan, the different types of pranayam, kriyas, and so forth. They also oftentimes charge a great deal of money to give a particular mantra to meditate upon. But then they are afraid to teach any disciplinary rules and regulations to govern one's life. And thus, the students go on performing all-nonsense activities, allowing their mind and senses to control the direction of their life. And in this way, it is simply a joke. It is not yoga. Yoga means disciplining the mind and senses. One of the most famous missions, spiritual missions in all of India, the president of the entire mission, we will not mention any names, in New York City, back in the very, very early days of the Hare Krishna movement, met one of our devotees. This devotee happened to be Hayagriva Maharaj. This is when he still was just hardly a devotee for one year. And this man had thousands and thousands of people following him in America. The most distinct, one of the most distinguished spiritual institutions of India, he was representing in America. So, our devotee attended one of his lectures he spoke very eloquently very nicely and at the end uh, our devotee, Hayagriva he met with him and they spoke for some time and Hayagriva began to explain some of the basic precepts of the Hare Krishna movement and he mentioned that we follow four regulative principles no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling, no meat-eating And he asked, this, this man was a swami. He was a very famous swami. He has written many, many very famous books throughout the world. You have all heard of him. So this swami said, what do you define as intoxications? And Ayagriva, he said, any type of drugs for the purpose of not medical drugs, but for the purpose of pleasure, taking drugs, alcohol, even cigarettes, even coffee and tea. And this man said, "Ah, even cigarettes." He said, "Did you ever smoke cigarettes?" I Grieve said, "I smoked cigarettes for so many years. I was also taking drugs for so many years. But by the grace of my Guru Maharaj, I've given it all up." He said, this, this great Swami Yogi, he said, that's the one thing I haven't been able to give up, is smoking cigarettes. He said, I still smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. He said, I want to give it up, but I cannot give it up. It's very difficult. I really admire you. You've only been on the spiritual path for less than one year and you've given up smoking cigarettes. I've been on the spiritual path for 40 years and I still haven't been able to give it up. As a matter of fact, I've given up trying to give it up. (laughs) Renunciation, Vairagya, giving up trying, renunciation of renunciation. He said, as a matter of fact, I teach my students that it's not so bad. If by your own inclination you can give it up, you give it up. Because I cannot teach something that I cannot do. He said, but can you please tell me the secret of how I can give up smoking cigarettes? And Hayagriva, of course, having only been a devotee for one year, was not so tactful. He said to this man who was a very famous guru, he said, you should accept a bona fide spiritual master. (laughs) And he will help you give up these sinful activities. Without control of the mind and senses, there is no question of yoga. Now it is explained here by Lord Shri Krishna that a man must elevate himself by his own man, not degrade himself. For the mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. Lord Rishabhdev, he explains in great detail, the nature of the mind. Here Krishna is saying the mind is either your best friend or your worst enemy. Now for practically all the population of the world, including neophyte aspiring transcendentalists, your mind is still your worst enemy. now if you are in combat with your enemy it is essential that you have as much information about your enemy as possible correct the more you know about the workings of your enemy the more you can detect and prevent any damage done so the scriptures explained in great detail how the mind operates what is its nature Lord Dave says that your mind is like an unchaste wife. It is said in the Shastra that when a woman is devoted to her husband, is very religious, and is very chaste, then it should be understood that Lakshmi the goddess of fortune is living in that house but where the wife is unchaste unfaithful to the husband and not religious it is said that there can be absolutely no question of peace prosperity or happiness in that household so the mind is compared by Lord Rishabhdev to be like an unchaste wife. When one's wife is unchaste, the husband must be very, very careful to watch over her. After all, you're not supposed to divorce her, so you're stuck with that woman, correct? Similarly, if we can just divorce our mind, then life would be very easy. But we're stuck living with our mind we have to somehow or other make the best use of the situation we're in now the husband must be very meticulous in how he watches carefully the wanderings of his wife because he knows if he is inattentive his wife will run off to have romantic relationships with her paramours a paramour is a lover that is not legal so it is said that if the wife is allowed to freely associate with these paramours eventually due to envy these paramours will destroy the husband they may even kill the husband So what are the paramours that our mind is inclined to have relationships with? There are six essential paramours, lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion, and pride. If we allow our mind to associate with these paramours, then in due course of time, these paramours will destroy all sense of spirituality within our life. Therefore, the aspiring transcendentalist must be on constant guard of his mind, her mind. It is also explained by Lord Dev that when you are taking to the spiritual path you are more or less trying to keep your mind in captivity trying to curb its wild restless animalistic nature now when a hunter catches a wild animal and keeps it in captivity Does that hunter ever trust that animal? Does he put any faith in that animal? If you catch a tiger, or a leopard, or a cobra, and you have it in a cage, and you have it in captivity, do you ever trust that animal? What happens if you trust it? It will either turn around and kill you, or it will escape and it will be very difficult to ever find it again. Therefore, the hunter, without ever putting his faith in that animal, must be on constant vigilant guard that that animal is right where it's supposed to be. Otherwise, that animal is very dangerous. One who is on the spiritual path, the path of yoga, must deal with his mind exactly as a hunter deals with his captive prey. Never put faith in your mind. Never trust your mind, but rather keep constant vigilance on your mind. Because if you are inattentive, that inattention can cause spiritual destruction. No matter how great and powerful you are, if you are inattentive, Inattentive, you will be defeated. And there are many stories in the Shastras to prove this fact. There are also many stories within our history, practical stories. I'll narrate one to you. Ah, I happen to be born on December 7th. December 7th is celebrated as a very famous day. Do you know what day that is? Usually famous days means you're very auspicious persons. They take birth on the Janmastami or Radhastami or Gaurapurnima or the appearance day of some great saint like Siddhanta Saraswati or Narottam Das Thakur. Generally great souls appear on those holy days, auspicious days. But by God's grace and by His humorous, symbolic um, reasoning. He put me on this earth on the day when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it's called Pearl Harbor Day, very famous day. World War II was said to be the war that ends all wars. Ah. So on the anniversary of the beginning of that, ah. somehow or other, I was forced into this world. So, the story of Pearl Harbor Day is very instructive. You see, the United States had the most powerful army and navy in the world. And they were warned many, many times that the Japanese along with their um, alliance with the Germans, they are going to attack you. And America was thinking, how will they attack us? They know how powerful we are. They know how strong we are. They know our army. They know our bombs. They know our ships. So they were, no way, no chance. So the entire U.S. Navy, all of its ships, big, big ships, Warships, bomber ships, tanker ships, they were all at the head base of Pearl Harbor, which is in Hawaii. The entire US Navy was sitting there. And there was many warnings that any time the Japanese are going to attack Pearl Harbor. They thought, those Japanese, they are so weak and useless. What are they going to do to us? Huh? And besides that, there's no way they're going to come to Pearl Harbor. Our whole force is right here. It's impossible. So they were completely inattentive. They didn't even have a guard out. They didn't even have the radar on. Huh? They were so confident that the Japanese were very weak, very useless, and they were so powerful, and it could never happen. And then, on that very, very famous day, hmm, And everyone woke up, it was in the morning. What's that? Who's waking us up from our sleep? It's the Japanese. Oh my God, they did it. Now it's too late. When the bombs are falling on your head, it's too late. The entire US Navy was destroyed within a matter of hours. And that was the beginning of World War II for America. Huh? So here's the most powerful nation with the most powerful navy, but because they were inattentive for one day, they were destroyed. That is why Dave describes that we must be on constant vigilance of our mind. A real yogi never puts faith in his mind. He puts faith in God. He puts complete faith in God and no faith in his mind. Krishna says in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita that one must control the lower self with the higher self and thus overcome this deadly symbol of sin, of material attachment and lust, kama. How is it possible to conquer the mind? Arjuna was a very very great man he was Krishna's personal friend he was living in Dwarpa Yuga not Kali Yuga he was well learned he was trained by great souls as Bhishma and Drona he was a first class citizen of this world he was perfectly moral and ethical learned in the scriptures humble to the saints And he very honestly revealed his thinking to Krishna. He said, Krishna, you are telling me to control my mind. But do not you know that the mind, it is more difficult to control than the raging wind? Has anyone ever been able to control the wind? Have you ever seen the power of the wind during a hurricane, tornado, cyclone? Has there any, ever been in the history, even with all of our science and technology, anyone who's been able to stop a tornado or a hurricane or a cyclone? You are helpless. In America, when a hurricane starts coming off the ocean, They know it cannot be stopped. All all you can do is run away. They tell everyone, the hurricane might come to your town. You should evacuate your homes and just go somewhere else. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And sometimes when these hurricanes come, they destroy thousands of lives at a time within a second and destroy entire cities within seconds. That is just a tiny little example of the power of the wind. In Miami Beach, Florida, we have a temple there. And it's a beautiful hotel right on the beach. Very nice location. So one time I was on the top floor in the president's office. There's a big picture window overlooking the ocean. And I was looking down thinking, ah, what a beautiful view. Such a nice sea view and I said to the president you have such a nice view right from your office overlooking the Atlantic Ocean and he said yes it's a nice view as long as the ocean stays where it is I said what do you mean as long as the ocean stays where it is he says because in Florida there are often hurricanes and the wind pushes the ocean and it completely destroys he said, if any hurricane comes in this area, it's guaranteed that the whole ocean will completely annihilate this whole section of Miami Beach. And every building and every hotel will be completely crushed to pieces, fall to the ground and everyone will be killed. And they, and they predict that at any time it could happen. Therefore, we cannot get insurance on this place. No one will insure any hotel in this area. I said, well, what are you doing here? He said, I don't know. All we can do is have faith in Krishna, that he won't send the winds. It's the only insurance. No one else will take our policy, only Krishna. (laughs) As a fact, in situations of life, dangerous situations, no insurance company will take your policy. But Krishna will always take your policy if you simply surrender to him and put your faith in him. And he will guarantee. One who has faith in Krishna, Krishna says, Manmana bhavamad mam satyam te prati Always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, offer your homage unto me. That's the premium you must pay. And then Krishna says, you will come to me without fail. This is my promise. Guaranteed. Arjuna is saying that the mind is more hard to control than the wind. And Krishna agrees with him. Krishna said, what you are saying is true. But with constant practice and detachment the mind can be controlled. What does that mean? That means you cannot control your mind you have a better chance of controlling a hundred thousand tornadoes at a single time than controlling your own mind. It's impossible. When Krishna says, with constant practice and detachment, that practice means Sarva padi vanira muktam tatpurat dena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha It means surrendering your mind to Krishna. For Krishna, controlling a hurricane or tornado is very easy. Ah when Indra sent torrents of rains and high winds to Vrindavan with the little finger of his left hand he protected everyone in Vrindavan there was no difficulty for him Trinavarta was a whirlwind he was a hurricane, a tornado this demon came as a most forceful tornado when he came into Vrindavan my God the, everything was blowing over there was dust everywhere no one could see the whole civilization was about to be destroyed by these high winds but Trinavarta especially wanted to kill Krishna so he took Krishna and started flying into the air with him this mighty cyclone an asura in the form of a cyclone and Krishna grabbed him by the neck and he was only a baby he was hardly one year old at the time. He was just—he was not even walking. He was still crawling. Huh? He was little baby. Huh? Ah, Balgopal. On one side we have little baby Krishna, and we have this mighty, mighty cyclone, hurricane, tornado, whirlwind, Trinavarta, who is maliciously intending to destroy everything. And he took baby little Krishna into the air and krishna grabbed him by the neck huh. where's the neck of a tornado krishna knows he knows everything so he grabbed him by the neck and then in his little balgopal form which mother yashoda and all the gopis they would hold in his other uh, arms and they would bounce him around and dance around with him and ah so nice Huh? He was so, so much loving his devotees that sometimes ah, when he was just a little baby, they used to clap their hands and say, tell him, dance, dance, dance. And he would start to dance. And he would start falling over because he wasn't very good at walking. And he would dance. And they would clap their hands and he would dance for them. Just like a little pet. Huh? Just like the little pet of the gopis. Because of their love. But to Trinavarta, he was not little pet. And within a short amount of time, he became as heavy as a mountain. He became as heavy as the Himalayas. And this, this demon who was a who was a Rakshasha who had tremendous mystic power. Although this whirlwind could knock over buildings, knock over mountains, knock over everything, it could not maintain the weight that Krishna was forcing upon his neck. So with all of his force, he was trying to push Krishna off. Get off of me, you crazy baby, get off of me. He was pushing, pushing, pushing. And Krishna just held his neck with his little lotus arms. It's not that Krishna grew. He was still a tiny little infant baby. But his weight grew. It is said that Krishna is mahato mahiyam anato aniyan. He is bigger than the biggest and smaller than the smallest. And he could be bigger than the biggest and at the same time smaller than the smallest. Huh? He can be smaller than the smallest and in that form be heavier than the heaviest. Achintya shakti. He is inconceivable. What an embarrassing situation for this demon. Big, mighty Rakshasha, trying to get this little tiny baby, he couldn't even do it. So finally he became so exhausted that he came down to the ground with a crash. And he was dead. And all the residents of Vrindavan, ah, they saw, my God, this demon, he's dead. He took Krishna in the air. Mother Jashoda, she was the dust cleared. She was looking all over for Krishna. She fell unconscious because she couldn't find him anywhere. Then they saw this mighty, huge, powerful demon laying there. And Krishna was laying on him, just crawling around innocently, just looking around, like, what is this? And the residents of Rajatam, ah, they were thinking. But my God, how did this happen? This demon came to kill Krishna and kill us all. But somehow or other, the demon died. They couldn't imagine that Krishna killed it. Krishna was just their baby. He dances for them, huh? He steals butter. We punish him. He's ah Yashoda, Nanda, Nanda, Nanda. That's all. They only saw him as the son of Nanda and Yashoda, and they began to think we must have done good pious activities in our past lives and it's due to that that the demigods are pleased and they saved our child otherwise how is it possible this mighty rakshasha has been killed and then mother Yashoda, she began to perform all these little rituals to protect krishna she took the tail of a cow and to each part of his body she was chanting different mantras for his protection But this is the power of Krishna. Effortlessly, as a baby, he can destroy and control the wind. So, similarly, without any effort, Krishna can control your mind. If you simply give your mind to him, if you put your mind under his custody, if you offer your mind in his service, then he takes the task of controlling your mind. Otherwise it's impossible. And anyone is a proud, puffed-up fool who thinks that he can defeat the power of maya by his own efforts. <inaudible> Krishna explains that this material energy consisting of the three modes of material nature is impossible to overcome. But if one surrenders to me, one can easily cross beyond it. So the process of controlling the mind is to keep it always in the service of Krishna. Manmana bhavamad bhakto madhyajimna mamāskuru Krishna says, always think of me, become my devotee, worship me and offer your homage unto me. And the duty of the spiritual master and the duty of the advanced sadhus is simply to train us and teach us how we can keep our mind and senses always in contact with Krishna. By that contact, our mind and senses become purified. And then our mind becomes our best friend. Friend, why? Because it is always thinking of Krishna. Suhradam Krishna says, "I am the supreme best friend of all living beings." When our mind associates with Krishna, the best friend Krishna is always with us in our mind. But as soon as our mind leaves Krishna, know mm-hmm. that our mind becomes our worst enemy. And the worst, the worst strategy that an enemy can possibly inflict upon you is when the enemy convinces you to trust him. Huh? When the enemy convinces you to trust him, then your whole life remains vulnerable to whatever he wants to do. And at the least expected moment, you realize he's my enemy. And then it's too late. He's already taken everything. So never trust your mind, but put your trust in Krishna. We may be thinking like this. The mind is trying to make friends with us, saying, oh, look, you have a big college degree, you're very intelligent, you are very advanced spiritually, and you have, you have a lot of common sense, after all, these devotees—they're not so rational. They see things in this transcendental way that this is not logical. It's not rational. You're a man of, of of the integrity of reasoning, so you have to you have to make up your own your own path of how you're going to attain salvation. After all, the guru and the sadhus—they they don't understand. They don't understand the things of this world. They don't understand what I'm going through. So I know a better way. This is your mind speaking. I'm your friend. I'm very learned. Everyone praises you. So why shouldn't you believe them? Huh? Why not? Your wife praises you. Your husband praises you. Your children praise you. Your friends, they talk about how learned you are. Your employees. Your, the mind is speaking, just trust me, just have faith. Don't worry about what Krishna and the devotees are saying. I know what they really mean. Huh? I, I know the secret behind their words. Just follow me. And then, yes, yes, yes. Then we remain vulnerable. And in due course of time, we understand that I have befriended my worst enemy. And now look at where I am. Pearl Harbor Day has just ended. All my spiritual assets have been bombed due to inattentiveness. Huh? I've worked so many years to develop so much spiritual integrity, so much spiritual, and now, my whole, the whole navy of my Spiritual assets have been bombed by my mind, who I trusted. So, therefore, it is explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam, in the third canto, that there is no greater fortune that one can possibly attain than the association of saintly persons because those saintly persons the Word of God is always emanating from their lips. The Word of God is always revealing itself through their lives and by their association we can always understand what is to be done and what is not to be done. Because they are always teaching us, training us and convincing us to keep our mind friendly with Krishna, to keep our mind fixed on Krishna. Where wherever is the sun, Krishna Surya Sam Yahan Krishna Tahanahi, Maya Radikar. Krishna is like the sun, darkness, ignorance, maya cannot exist in front of Krishna. As soon as your mind is fixed on Krishna and the word of Guru, your mind is liberated. We simply have to keep it in that liberated condition. And the easiest process is to hear about the Lord, to keep one's mind fixed on the Lord by hearing about Him in the association of sadhus and by chanting His holy name. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Yato yato nischchaleti manas tatastatam yanmaita atmane raba Krishna says, "Whenever and wherever the mind wanders due to its flickering and unsteady nature, one must certainly withdraw it and bring it back under the control of the self. That is possible for anyone by calling out the name of Krishna." Wherever our mind wanders, whatever ideas, conceptions and concoctions it starts to present to us, whenever it starts chasing after the objects of the senses, through the senses, we should know that our best friend is waiting to save us. Our best friend is the holy name because He is our constant companion. So in all situations we must cry out, Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare and then Krishna is there with all His glory, all His opulence, all His beauty as our best well-wishing loving friend. He will be there whenever we call out His name sincerely According to the guidance of the great souls. So we must understand this is the most essential and crucial part of our spiritual development. One must restrain the mind and senses and fix it on Krishna. Fix it on Krishna. And by constant practice of the chanting of the names of God and executing the order of the great souls, we can keep our mind eternally fixed on Krishna. And through this process our mind becomes purified of its attachment to the false ego. And then our mind, like like clear water, becomes transparent and the only thing a pure soul can perceive through his mind is krishna and to the degree you are able to perceive krishna to that degree you will love krishna because krishna is the supreme object of all of our attraction he is all attractive Param Driswani Vartate. By fixing our mind and senses on the divine name of God, the divine Leela of God, and the divine service of the Lord, the mind and the senses experience such a higher pleasure, Ananda, that they lose all aspiration and all desire to enjoy this lowly temporary world of suffering. Dukalaya Mashashwatam. In Kali Yuga, it is our only refuge from the demon of our mind, is the name of God. So let us take very seriously this great opportunity we have to connect with God. The perfection of yoga is to connect with God. And in this age, the yoga process which is recommended is to connect with God.